right, cool. If you have Bibles with you, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I've been doing a series of messages entitled God's Ways. And it's, it's based on, inspired by, the launching point for it has been the verses in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that say, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I got to tell you, after over 30 years as a Christian and about 25 of them as a pastor, God has taught me again and again and again and again and again that his ways are not my ways. It's just been a constant journey of yielding my ways to his ways. Things go better. If you want to live this Christian life and do it well, it goes better if we do it his way. We're just not accustomed to his way. Matter of fact, most of us have been trained our whole lives to do things our way. And it's a big part of the reason why we've gotten in some of the messes that we've gotten in. Now, just to make it a little bit more challenging, his ways are really not our ways. His ways are out of the box. His ways are really different than what makes sense to us. So what we think in our rational, limited human minds, what we think is logical, what we think is fair, what makes sense to us, what we think is reasonable, it's not his way. He does things very differently. And so to kind of drive that point home, I've taken the last few weeks to look at some of God's ways in the lives of some of the major biblical characters. And just to, to make it clear, look at how he worked in their life. <laughs> Don't be surprised if he does some kind of you know, wild and crazy things in our lives, too. Um, and, you know, hey, man, it's biblical. So, you know, one of the questions I often ask myself, and, I, and a, a question I, I just lay before you, is that if his ways and your ways do not match up, who has to change? Yeah, we got to change. We need to change. We're, we don't always like to change. I'll be honest with you. I only like change if I can control it. When I can't control the change, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm just saying. So, you know, in my first message, we just kind of looked at those verses, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, just an overview of that truth. The second message, we looked at the life of Moses. He had a really unusual call and really unusual preparation. And in that whole message, we specifically looked at the account of him crossing the Red Sea. And I said how... God had sent him to a specific address. If you read the scriptures, he tells him, go here, here, here. It's like, go to this street corner. And he goes there. And it leaves him and all these people he's just brought out of Egypt stuck at the Red Sea. And then God hardens Pharaoh's heart and sends him after Moses. So God literally put Moses between a rock and a hard place. Moses didn't get in those circumstances because of his disobedience. He was in those circumstances because he obeyed God. And then in those circumstances, in that incredible, impossible situation, God did a God-sized thing. He parted the sea, and they all walked across on dry land, and then God annihilated Moses' enemy. His ways are not our ways, right? You know, we looked at Gideon, the life of Gideon. Gideon, too, had an unusual call, hiding in a hole, and God shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. God's speaking what is not as though it is. Seeing Gideon at the end of his journey, and we we talked about that a little bit, and then talked about Gideon's army. How it was amazing, after seven years of being under the oppression of the Midianites, Gideon's able to raise an army of 32,000 men. That's pretty impressive. But God didn't want to do it that way. God tells everybody who's afraid they can go home. Two-thirds of them leave, right? Gideon's left with 10,000 guys. Oh, man, this is not in my strategy book, right? Going from 32,000 to 10,000 is not in any church growth book I've ever read. Even that wasn't enough. God takes it from 10,000 down to 300 guys. His ways are not our ways. Now they're going to go against an army that has kept them in oppression for seven years, a well-equipped well-armed, 
military force. And Gideon's army, 300 guys, no weapons. They got trumpets, they got torches. This is all they got. And so they blew their trumpets, they shouted, and the enemy killed one another. And they had a great victory that day. There's no military strategy that says this works. There's no, no logic, right? I mean, if this was us, I'd have called Maurice, I'd have called Peter. Guys, let's have a meeting. We got 32,000 guys. What's the best way that we can come up with a strategy to beat this enemy? Right? It's not God's way. It's not what he was doing. Brings it down to 300 men. Then in incredible circumstances, he does a God-sized thing. And they have, an, they have an amazing victory. God's ways are not our ways. Last week we looked at Abraham. Abraham too had an unusual call. God said, go that way. And he did. In faith, he did. Made him an, incre- an incredible promise that he'd have a son. And the promise came when he was 75 years old. God made that promise. The promise wasn't fulfilled until he was 100 years old. God waits until Abraham is completely out of strength, until Abraham has nothing left, and it's impossible for him to do this. And God does a God-sized thing. What do we learn from Abraham's story? That God can have you leave your home, the land of your birth, your extended family, everything that's familiar and comfortable. He can tell you, go. He does that. He's done that with Nadine and I. He says, go. And you go. He can only give you general direction and not specific direction. Go that way, toward Canaan. And then he made lots of different stops along the way. And it took him a long time to get there. Sometimes we think, well, God said it. It's going to happen right now. God made a promise to Abraham. It took 25 years for that promise to be filled. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. God may give you a promise and fulfill it only after you're beyond your strength and your power to bring it to pass. And then after he's fulfilled that promise, he may ask you to give it up, to give it away, or to lay it down. The very thing he gave you. His ways are not our ways. Think about it. You've waited so long. You've battled so hard. And the promise is finally in your hands. And then God says, lay it down. Wow. And when he does fulfill his promise, it may look very different than what you expected it to look like. I'm sure if I was in Abraham's shoes, God says, I'm going to be the father of many nations. I'm just going to start building the biggest church I can find. I'm going to get the biggest construction contract. I'm going to build a mighty church. And all he gave Abraham was one son. It didn't get fulfilled the way Abraham expected it to be fulfilled. His ways are not our ways. The other thing we learned last week, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they were God's little helpers there at you know, some point in the middle. You know, things weren't coming as quickly as they thought it should come, so... They thought they kind of help. You know, they kind of help God out here. Told you last week that was never going to fly in my house. You know, Nadine was never going to come up with a Hagar and say, "He, here, you can have my servant." You know. <laughs> See that cane she's walking with, man? She whacked me upside the head with that cane. One of the other things we learned last week: it's not good to mix His ways and our ways. When you mix his ways with our ways, it just gets messy. It gets messy and it gets ugly. To the, because they mixed God's ways with man's ways, we live with the consequences of that to this very day. Mixture is not a good thing. So I want to continue this series on God's ways. Today, but I want to look at the life of David. Take a little bit of a look at David's backstory, David's call. And uh, David's battle with Goliath. So if you're open to Matthew, first, uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 17, follow along as I begin reading your verse 40. This is, the, this is the battle that David has with Goliath. Many of you are familiar with it. 
Then he, David, took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear, that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. Lord, I pray that you would make your word clear to us today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right where we're at. I pray that you would make yet even clearer how your ways are not our ways. And help us, oh God, give us faith today. Give us encouragement today to lay down our ways and to take up your ways. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Man, I love King David. Arguably the greatest king in Israel's history besides the Messiah. What a battle. What an incredible victory. But before we get into the details of this this battle. Let's take a little. Let's take a look a little bit at the backstory. How did we get here? How did the, we get here and to this battle between the shepherd boy David and the giant warrior Goliath? Well, it really begins with Saul, King Saul, the, the king before David, and how Saul had been rejected by God as king. God gives. Very specific, specific instruction to King Saul through the prophet Samuel. He tells him exactly what he wants him to do. In 1 Samuel 15, he says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Pretty clear instruction. Not only I want you to fight these people, I want you to annihilate everything. Destroy everything that belongs to them. What does everything mean? It means everything. You don't leave anything out. But Saul, in his own wisdom, decides to mix God's ways with his own ways. And we see in verse 7, that same chapter, 1 Samuel 15, It says, then Saul attacked the Amalekites. Okay, so far so good. He's doing what he had been told to do. Verse 8 says, and he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Wait a minute. God said destroy everything. But he takes the king, Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle the fatted calves, the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Hmm. God told them to go and destroy everything. He gets there and he's thinking, hey man, some of these sheep look pretty good. You know, those cattle look pretty good too. And you know what? I think I'd like to keep this king alive for whatever reason. But that's not God's way. That was not what God told him to do. It seemed right in his own eyes. And so he mixed 
what God told him to do, go and destroy the Amalekites, with his own ways. He let some of the stuff survive because it looked good to him. God reveals Saul's, King Saul's sin to the prophet Samuel, and so Samuel comes and, and he confronts Saul. This is some of the backstory leading us up to David and Goliath. So get this. Verse 17, 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the Lord's eyes? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord and to the God of Gilgal. What's going on here? He's rationalizing, right? He's justifying. He's explaining away his behavior. And even best yet, you know, because I'm talking to a prophet, let's wrap it up in a little bit of religion, right? We did it so we could sacrifice these animals. Guys, that don't work. It's not flying here for King Saul. It doesn't work in our lives. When we rationalize our choices, our decisions, and we wrap it up in Christianity, right? It still looks like junk from God's perspective. And junk is a real polite term. Otherwise, they you know, hit me with a cane. And it's classic response from the prophet Samuel. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. What's the prophet saying to the king right now? He's saying that your compromise, that your mixture of your ways and God's ways is rebellion, and that that rebellion is as bad as occult practices. It's as bad as witchcraft. He's really putting it in proper perspective and proper context. People mixing God's ways and our ways, bad news. It's a bad thing. Even if we do it in the guise of religious reasons, it just makes it uglier. It doesn't make it better. God's not going to be deceived. Hmm. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. None of us have ever been guilty of that, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul's paid a high price for his choice to mix God's ways and his ways. It's cost him his position as king, and it's cost him the kingdom. Samuel tells him, um, Samuel, verse 27, As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. That neighbor, that one that was better than Saul, is David. Saul mixed his ways and God's ways and it cost him everything. And it would ultimately cost him his kingdom. Spiritually, the anointing was severed from Saul that day. The ability to serve as king was removed from him. However, he remained in the position for about 15 more years. Listen to me. You never want to have a position without God's favor and his anointing. You don't, if, you, if the favor is no longer there, if the anointing is no longer there, you don't want the position because it will drive you crazy. If you have the position and the burden and the weight and the responsibility and the power that comes with the position, but you no longer have the anointing of God, 
you no longer have the favor of God, it'll destroy you. Trying to hold on to what God had removed from his life drove Saul, drove King Saul insane. He became insecure and jealous and envious and self-righteous and a demonized psycho. Sounds like a pastor I once served under a few years ago. It wasn't pretty at all. So David's call in 1 Samuel 16, we read the story of Samuel anointing David as king. This is another great illustration of God's ways not being our ways. God sends the prophet Samuel to David's father's house, to Jesse's house. Now, it's said in the scripture of Samuel that none of his words fell to the ground. And what that means is that he operated at such a high level of prophetic revelation that if he said it, it happened. He operated at a huge level of revelation. But even with that level of anointing, it's interesting to me that even the prophet Samuel can miss it. So he he shows up at David's father's house. This is Jesse. He shows up at Jesse's house, the prophet does. And he tells him to bring out all of his sons to stand before him. And he starts with the oldest, right? Iliad. And at first look, because he's the oldest, because he's the biggest, because he's the strongest, the prophet thinks, I'm going to quote verse 6, it says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Even the prophet is thinking and looking with human understanding. Of course it would be the oldest son who would be king. Of course it would be the one who looks the strongest and the mightiest, right? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that reasonable? Isn't that logical? But his ways are not our ways. God says to the prophet Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I rejected him. The Lord does not look at things. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that a clear description and definition between the differences of his ways and our ways? We look at the outside. Does it look good? You know how many churches in America today are built on the premise that it's got to look good? And I'm not opposed to big buildings or fancy facilities or things looking good. I don't think that that's bad. I just don't think that that ought to be the, you know, the reason we choose. What's in the heart? God looks at what's in the heart. His way is to look at the inside. And what's not on the outside. So Jesse had all of his sons pass before him. All of them. Except David. (laughs) When Samuel looked for the future leader of God's people, he was impressed with Jesse's sons, the ones that were handsome and strong and charismatic, perfect for the job. But God had rejected them in favor for someone who was too young and too inexperienced to even be invited to the meeting. He asked for all of his sons. David wasn't there. I find it interesting. Jesse didn't say, oh, wait a minute, my youngest son, he's not here yet. It's also interesting that none of the brothers said, oh, wait a minute, (laughs) we forgot about David. David's out just busy taking care of the sheep. And in the eyes of the rest of his family, his father and his brothers, he's too young and too experienced to even be invited to the party. The prophet asks, is there anyone else? And they say, yeah. He says, well, I'm going to stand here and wait until he shows up. And they went and got David. God's ways are not our ways. God's choices and man's choices are not the same. God's ways is to look on the outside. Do they make a a good appearance? Does it look good? Are they gifted? Are they skilled? Are they experienced? God's is to look on the inside. What's in the heart? Do they have character and integrity? 
Do they love? That's his ways. That's what he's looking for. And so David comes, and the Lord lets him know, the Lord lets Samuel know, the prophet, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Verse 13. David was about 15 years old when he was anointed king. When Samuel anointed him king. However, he didn't sit on the throne until he was about 30 years old. Although you never want to have position without anointing, God will give you anointing without position. God will give you anointing. He'll give you gifting without position. And he does it for this reason. To test your character. To challenge your integrity. And to strengthen your faith. God will give you anointing without position. Spiritual principle I've noticed. I'm not sure why it works this way, but I've seen it happen repeatedly. Is that before God allows you to fulfill your vision, He'll make you serve another man's vision. God will make you serve another man's vision before He entrusts you with your own. And I just think it's for training. I think it's for the purposes of building character in us. I think it's so that we can learn what it means to be humble. In Luke 14, Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. The way up is down. He said, those who are faithful with little, Jesus said in Luke 16, those who are faithful with little will be entrusted with much. It seems to be the process. You never want to have position. You never want to have position without the anointing of God and without the favor of God. But don't be surprised if he gives you anointing without position. And it's to test your heart. So that's some of the backstory. The rest of 1 Samuel 16 tells us how David entered Saul's service. It wasn't of, of David's doing it was divinely orchestrated. You can read it for yourselves, verses 14 to 23. Which brings us to the battle of David and Goliath in chapter 17. The battle lines are drawn. The Philistines have gathered for war against the Israelites. The Philistines are on one side of the hill and the Israelites are on the other. In the valley between them is Goliath. Goliath is the Philistines' champion warrior. The message describes Goliath, this way, a man nearly 10 feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open. Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. His spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. And his shield bearer walked ahead of him. Goliath was a bad dude. He was huge. He was well-armed. And he was cocky from the, from the experiences of victory. And so he stands in this valley. And he issues this challenge to the Israelites. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let, a, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Dismayed and terrified is the New International Version's way of saying they were freaking out. Okay? Not only did Goliath issue this challenge, he did it morning and evening for 40 days. For 40 days, 
he'd come out and he would taunt them. And he would challenge them. And he would terrify them. The Israelite army was demoralized and gripped in fear. And one day, David shows up. He's just bringing supplies. His father sent him to bring some supplies to the older brothers. David shows up, and after hearing Goliath's rant for that day, this is David's response. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The Israelites saw the giant. David has his eyes fixed on God. Somehow the words of David get back to King Saul, and Saul sends for him. David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I love this kid. I love this kid. He's like 15 years old. Saul, still seeing with the eyes of the flesh, responds, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been fighting his, since his youth. But however, after some convincing concerning the victories that David's had against lions and bears, protecting the family sheep, Saul agrees to let David go fight Goliath. This is what David says to Saul. Your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came... Uh, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of these, because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I can just feel the anointing on it just reading that. Imagine hearing this kid say it. I'm not surprised. Saul said to him, go. The Lord be with you. Don't you just love David's passion? Man, I love it. So you think at this point, maybe Saul's starting to get a clue. No. All right? What got him into this mess is that he's mixing God's ways with man's ways. And he still wants to mix God's ways with man's ways. So he agrees to send David into battle, but he wants to do it his own way. He wants David to wear Saul's armor, right? Man's ways is Saul's armor and conventional weapons. God's ways is to send a boy with a few rocks and a slingshot and a ton of faint against a giant, experienced warrior. David would have none of this mixture. He'd have none of it. He said, I can't do it with this armor on. You know, you can't put a David in an, a Saul's armor. Just like you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. Trying to put David in Saul's armor is like trying to put new wine in an old wineskin. You can't put an anointed David in an unanointed Saul's armor. I don't care how good that armor looks. I don't care how many victories are chalked up on that armor. You can't do it. You can't mix God's ways and man's ways and expect to be victorious. And then maybe my favorite part of the text that I started with is that David runs to the battle. David faces Goliath on the field of battle and he says to him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, or I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For this battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. 
He's telling Goliath, not only am I going to take you down, all your friends are going down too. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack, the scripture says David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Man, I want to be like David. When there were giants in my way, when there were impossible circumstances, I want to have so much faith in what God's able to do. I want to have so much faith in God's ways that I will run to the battle. I'll say, bring it on. You want to go? Let's go. Not because I have confidence in my own strength or my own ability, but because I know who he is and that nothing will stand before him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Anybody here ever watch Ultimate Fighter? You guys ever watch that? I love Ultimate Fighter. I just confess it right here in front of everybody. I love it. I love MMA. Nadine's sister says, ooh, 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 make him stop, make him stop. When somebody lands a shot right on the chin, and that guy goes face first, he goes down face first, and his nose bounces off the canvas, he's out. That's what, that's what Goliath did. He fell face down. He took one shot, that stone, that stone sank into his forehead, and he hit the ground face first. I love that he ran to the battle. Oh, that I'd be a lot more like David and a whole lot less like Saul. So what can we learn from this? What about God's ways can we learn from, from some of these highlights? Not the whole of David's story, but some of these highlights from David's life. What can we glean from Saul and, and David's lives? Listen to me, don't mix God's ways in your ways. He tells you what to do, obey him. If you mix your ways with his ways, you're going to lose your position. You're going to lose your kingdom. It's going to cost you everything. It's not enough to do right things wrong. It's not enough. People, if we want to follow him, it is not enough for us to do right things the wrong way. You'll not have the blessing of God on it. It'll not have the favor of God on it. You'll not be able to overcome the giant. You cannot do right things the wrong way. You can't try and do wrong things the right way and think that God's going to bless it. We've got to do God's things God's ways and not mix some of our ways in it. And I don't care how pretty the religious wrapping is around it. If it's not his way, it's not his way. And it's not going to fly. So don't do that. We need to learn how to do the right thing the right way. We need to learn how to do what God's doing and do it the way he wants it done. We need to learn how to obey him, even if it's wild and crazy, even if it offends our logic and our reason and our understanding. The fact that he said it is enough. We need to do it. Jesus was right when he said that we can't put new wine in old wineskins. It'll destroy the wineskin and the wine will be wasted. That's one of the things we can learn. Another thing we can learn from David is timing. It may be years between the time of your anointing for a position and when you actually hold that position. God's faithful. He'll fulfill his promises. We've seen that in the story of Abraham, last week, we see it this week in David's life. Sometimes it takes a long time for the promises of God to be fulfilled. But he's faithful to his promises. Fifteen years it took for David. For his training... before you could actually have the position as king. Thinking about it, preparing this message, I realized that for myself, from the time when God first spoke to me, that there was a call of God in my life until I pastored my first church. Fifteen years. Fifteen years of training. 
So we can't mix. Often there's timing involved. I think another lesson we can pull from this is that God may send a boy to do a man's job. Never underestimate the impact of the anointing. An anointed boy is more than enough to defeat a well-equipped giant soldier. God's ways are not our ways. His ways will offend our logic, our reason, our understanding. We would never send, none of us in this room, in our own logic, would send an unarmed boy onto that field of battle, especially if the whole of the nation is riding on it. If this kid gets crushed by this giant, then we all become their slaves. That's what we agreed to. That's been the terms that have been dictated to us morning and night for 40 days. Not a one of us would have sent a 15-year-old boy into that battle. It would have seemed ludicrous to us. But that's exactly what God was doing. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) It actually worked. He's amazing. He's really big. He knows things that we don't know. A friend of mine is famous for saying to me that we can see down the block, but God can see around the corner. He knows things that we don't know. He knows that with a slingshot, a little boy could take down a giant. I don't know that. I wouldn't have known that. But God knew that. And he sent the perfect person at the perfect time into that battle and it won a victory for the whole nation. And the entire Philistine army was wiped out that day. That doesn't make any more sense to me than a hundred-year-old guy becoming a dad or a guy you know, with 300 friends and torches and trumpets defeats an army. None of that makes sense to me. It's not how Tom would do things. It's not how you would do things. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are true. His ways are not our ways. He has a different way. He has a higher way. And I know you guys, I know that in your hearts, you want his way. You really want his way. I'm just here to tell you that getting from here to there can be really scary. (laughs) And it can seem ridiculous at times. But tell you what, on the other side of it, boy, have you got stories to tell. There's a testimony of how great our God is, how mighty he is, how capable he is, in spite of our weaknesses and our limitations. So let's pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, could you... um, like imprint this on us today. Somehow make it uh, that we own it. Press it into us. That we could not just easily shake it off. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth and that it would set us free from the limits of man's ways. Set us free, Lord. I pray that we'd know the truth and that you would set us free from the limits of our logic and reason. Set us free. Set us free from common sense and give us divine sense. Give us your mind. Lord, I pray that humility would wash over us today and we could submit our way to your way. Father, I confess this sin today before my friends that I've chosen my ways above your ways. I've repeatedly in my life chosen what made sense to me, what seemed wise in my own eyes. Lord, I confess this sin that I've done right things wrong and I've done wrong things and tried to do in the right way. I've mixed your ways and my ways and I repent of doing that. 
Lord, I've made messes that I can't clean up. Come and do what only you can do. Come and do what only you can do, oh God. Come and clean up my mess. Well, I thought I was doing good, but it wasn't you. And I repent. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, there was something on David. He was anointed, and it changed that little boy. And he could see you and everything, and he could face giants, and it didn't matter. So, guys, if that's you today, if you feel like you're facing a giant, and he looks really well equipped, <laughs> and you feel like you've got nothing, can I, would you guys just stand where you are and I could pray for you? If that's you, would you stand? Lord, I pray for my friends today. I ask that you would put, you put David's spirit on him. Anoint him, Lord. Anoint him. Lord, anoint them today. Put that warrior spirit on them. Lord, I pray that you grace them with the ability to fix their eyes on you, that they would see you. And that their giant would be dwarfed in comparison. I pray for my friends that they could fix their eyes on Jesus. Show them who you are. Lord, I pray that you would wash over them right now and that you would give them wisdom, divine wisdom, holy wisdom, a release of the spirit of wisdom that they would know your way. Show them what to do, oh God. I ask that there would be divine instruction given. And Lord, I pray now that you would, that there would be grace today to surrender man's ways and to embrace your way. To lay down, get to be grace today, oh God, to lay down human logic human understanding, and to embrace your ways. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. And so for those of you guys who are standing, I just see, um, I see, um, looks like bullets of light just hitting you in the forehead. Lord, just send, send that inspiration. Make clear your way. Let light come. Let your light come and illuminate their minds. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for our whole church now. I know you got a plan for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith for God-sized things. Lord, even if it seems ridiculous and foolish to us, even if it offends our logic, our reason, our understanding, Lord, I pray that you would show us what you want to do and that we would go and do it. Even if it's like Gideon's battle or Abraham's journey or Moses before the Red Sea or David before Goliath, that we would do what you tell us to do. Lord, I pray for my friends that you would release dreams in our church. I pray that people would begin to dream, extrinsic dreams, about what you're going to do in our midst. Prepare us, oh God. Prepare us. Speak to us. Speak to us as a body, as a community. I pray that each one would get a different piece of the puzzle. Do it, Lord. And then come and do God-sized things in our midst. We offer ourselves to you, the loaves and fishes that are our lives, that represent our resources. Come, Lord, bless us, break us, and then use us to feed thousands. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Hmm.
more Lord. John, can you find some kind of music to put on, please? And um, I just really feel the presence of God up here. I don't know if people have other needs today, if it's physical needs or emotional needs, or there's some circumstance that you're battling with, and you're thinking, hey, I just I need somebody to lay hands on me and pray for me. Um, I just want to invite you to come forward for that. The rest of you guys, you're welcome to kind of stay and just soak in in the atmosphere of God's presence or your release to go and enjoy your day. But if you need personal prayer, come on down. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm amazed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the prayer room this morning, Mary Beth and Dorothy and Julia, you guys really had something on you. Would you come up and help me pray? Uh, for people this morning, if you guys mind. Anybody else needs prayer, please feel free to come down. I was praying with these ladies this morning. The Spirit of God was really on them. our hearts. Give us your heart. Break our hearts, oh God. And give us your heart. Break our hearts of stone. Lord, break our our hard will, Lord. Our, our struggle with yielding to your will. Break it. Break it. And give us your heart, Lord. Give us new hearts today. That your heart would beat within us. That the heart of David, that fiery, passionate heart of David would beat within us. That heart that knows who you are, how great you are, how big you are, how able you are. Let that heart beat in us today, oh God. Today and every day. Lord, your word says that David was a man after your own heart. May we be such men and women. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Thank you. 